Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, it's me, Peter. Uh, I believe this is episode 157. And joining us, as always, your favorite English man, Dan Crook. Howdy, Dan. Ah, oh, thanks. Howdy. <laughs> Howdy. Yep. And uh, your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, editor, founder of ThirdDegree.net, the amazing Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Uh, I, Peter, I, I want to interrupt for just a second because this is normally around this time, maybe shortly before, is when we do the Soccer 90 read. And you guys know that Soccer 90 is the place, as far as we're concerned, to get your FC Dallas, National Team, International Club gear, and all that stuff. But see. See, tomorrow, when we're recording Wednesday night, so Thursday morning, when you're listening to this podcast, at the very same time, the Road North Texas pinstripe jersey will be made available. We are basically <gasps> launching that sale with this podcast. <gasps> so not only is that one of the great jerseys in this club's history, and certainly North Texas's history, it's super cool they let us announce that that is dropping like at the exact same time as this podcast <gasps> goes live. Dan, where's and your reaction just... sound effect? <laughs> uh, sorry, I just realized we lost Steve Davis. Lost Steve Davis? Yeah, anytime Kit Talk comes oh, up. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Steve Davis said he turns it off when we get to Kit Talk. Yeah. But, well, for listen, though, that pinstripe thing is a very limited quality, so it's going to go fast when you hear this. If you really limited want Limited quantity, one, not limited quality. Oh, it's make... great quality. It's unlimited it's quality. Unlimited quality. <laughs> yeah, unlimited quality. Limited quantity. So when they're gone, they're gone. It's a pre-order kind of thing. So use our code, third degree, 20% off, Soccer 90. Some exclusions apply. This pinstripe jersey is not one of those exclusions. And uh, if you want it, and it's awesome, move fast because we're launching it here on the uh, with this podcast. I could just I have this visual image now of Steve Davis just scrambling for the stop button yeah. or the fast forward button as soon oh crap, here goes Welpton talking about the Ford Madison yeah. kit again. Yeah. Who gives an F? He said last week he was loving the podcast and then we got to the North Texas and mentioned a kit talk and he went, boop, ticket. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's something that you'd asked him about, and he's like, was that before or after Kit Talk? Because, you know. <laughs> I was out at Kit Talk. Uh, <laughs> everybody's different. You, Steve. Yeah. Everybody's different. Everybody's, everybody's different. Yeah. different. Do love so, them, yeah. All right. Well, Steve, you can rejoin now. Kit Talk is yeah. over. Yeah. At least for this moment, yeah, per for this se. Moment. Yep. Oh, well, listen to us in our jovial tone, because it is a victory pod, as uh, Dallas did their business over... Uh, the Colorado Rapids and Michael Barrios, newly married Michael Barrios, by the way. Uh, and we'll talk all about that here as Dallas ends up winning that game three to one. And I, you know what I find interesting about this result is this has been an interesting season because we've we've come back after games that we thought the team should have won but didn't. We've come back from games where they got results that maybe we thought were pretty fair or ex- exceeded our expectations. But here's a game where I think it's not unfair to say I on the whole I'm not 100% sure Dallas actually deserved in the way that the game played out to win but man what a great result and a fantastic win uh, for uh, Mr. Estevez as coach yeah it was a it was a win that they uh, had to grind it to get it where Colorado was the better team for most of the thing the possession was horrible Um, you know if you're going to be a team with good a good record. You've got to get some games like this sometimes and play what and get a result when you play poorly. And 
Dallas, I, I don't know that it was poorly, but they got outplayed in a lot of ways. And, and maybe from the gun got outcoached, but the, the coach adapted. We're going to talk about that later. Uh, and so that's a really sweet victory. Dan, you wrote the uh, your kind of recap of the game for the blog, and my you know the one thing that really sticks out to me is is the observation that we've made that Nico's system doesn't create a ton of chances, but what's really clicking is that they are converting those that they are creating. Definitely, I mean, you had uh, a xG of one point two compared to Colorado's nearly one point nine. A they're just making it work. Uh, you know, Jesus, that turn and shot, it's one of those ones that you've got no right making that. The the Sylvania effort, uh, oh, worldy <laughs> as it is, you know, how many people are saying, yeah, I'm going to score from out here. Oh, well, no big deal. Yeah, my, for my sure. My favorite part of the Sylvania story is that his brother scored a banger in um, the game, his USL championship game. And they have a family chat and apparently his younger brother, Jaden, was talking smack to Brandon about how Jaden had scored this banger of a goal. And Brandon's like, well, I'm going to outdo that. You watch. And then <laughs> yeah, so. it was, yeah, they were, they were uh, talking about because he made numbers. Uh, it was in the Open Cup and they he'd made number six on the SC top 10. Sure enough, Brandon makes number six on the Sports Center top 10. Wow. Didn't they did they both make top six? That, yeah, or number six? They both made okay. number six, yeah. Oh, they both did. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a very cool story, and it was a tremendous shot, and I want to talk a little bit more about that in a bit. But what I I want to kind of immediately get into the nuts and bolts of the game because it was interesting to watch, um, trying to see that Dallas was having to react to Colorado's kind of um, high-level press and the formation. It was really a 4-3-3 of Dallas versus Colorado's 3-4-3, and it at least appeared to me, Dan, that Dallas was struggling with that difference of uh, being uh, kind of the, uh, what's the way, not having the same man advantage in the middle of the field. Definitely. I think, um, you know, when you looked at it in the first half, all three uh, all three midfielders were coming in. Actually, no, sorry. Uh, Nick. Uh, not Nicky. I'm thinking Nicky Hernandez. Uh, Edwin Cerillo is coming in kind of... He's really the only central midfielder. You've got Paxton and Brandon were almost playing as like auxiliary wing backs protecting the fullbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, I think I, I'd pulled from MLS the average positions at half time, and it honestly, you could call it like a 6-3-1. It was that odd a shape that, that they were kind of being forced into just really from, from Barrios' runs alone and just the fact that he had that backup in the midfield with the extra man. So, Buzz, uh, kind of talk everybody through the tactics of this because it was very clear, at least from the television broadcast, that Farfan probably had his, uh, I don't want to say worst performance of the season, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. But, it's all, but, but that's really a byproduct that he was really struggling to figure out what to do between Rosenberry and Barrios and, and the, the, the problems that their formation was having dealing with that. Yeah, basically they're bringing, uh, I think it's Keegan Rosenberry forward. into Because what happens is the Colorado in general, and Steve talked about a lot on the broadcast, they like to play their wings really wide, uh, totally opposite of Dallas. They play their wings really wide because they want to open the gaps in the back line. So Farfan's moving wide to try and track Barrios because Barrios is really fast. Well, Jose Martinez is not fast. If that's a weakness to his game, it's that, that 
right? So he tends to stay more conservative and stay at home. So the gap between Martinez and and uh, uh, Farfan was huge, and Barrios was exploiting it, and they were running Rosenberry into that gap as well, and so they were getting double through that gap, and that was causing all those opportunities that were getting created on that side. So the halftime adjustment was, uh, I call it the surreal slide, because it wasn't a, they didn't just make him a center back. What they did was when they were on defense, he would slide between the center backs, and then when he get the ball back, he would slide back up. So he was shifting back and forth. So when he when they were on defense, he would slide between the center backs, and that allowed Martinez to move like 12 to 15 yards to his left into that gap more because Surreal was now between Martinez and Hedges. That tightened the space between Martinez and Farfan. And then Dallas, sorry, Colorado could not exploit that with Barrios and Rosenberry. That play went away. Now, Colorado had other things they do, notably set pieces that are always dangerous. So it didn't stifle it, but it solved that particular problem. It's a really nice coaching adjustment on the fly at halftime to solve what's clearly a problem without having to change personnel. You recognize that – you remember that Coach has talked about uh, – again, this is something Steve Davis mentioned on the broadcast where Coach has specifically said that the defense they play is designed around the abilities of their players. And one of those guys is Martinez. He's not Tafari. Tafari is range – distance he can recover with his pace he's very aggressive he smashes people martinez is much more intellectual about his defending he's much more conservative at home he doesn't overreach when he does he gets exposed if you run a really fast if you open that gap and really fast guy in there it's a problem so it's a really nice piece of coaching it's just a great early tactical of exploitation where your team is smart enough to execute the tactical shift and not have to change shapes not have to bring in other players it's just really nice yeah, it's it, it it was very obvious that the that something changed at halftime because man, it, it you just had well really to be fair, if Max finishes an opportunity, really an open easy one, uh, it, Colorado could have scored two, three, four goals in the first half, and unlike Dallas, they were not op, uh, taking their chances that they had created. Well, Paz was the man of the match for me. He had six saves on the season coming into this game, and he had five in this game, and three yeah. of them in the first half were game-winning level saves that kept Colorado out. I mean, it could have been 4-1 at halftime Colorado instead of, yeah. I mean, it was he was phenomenal, and it kept him in it. It was good. Yeah, my number one note after the game, Dan, was, man, if we've been talking about anything, we really have an idea of what Martin Paz is as a goalkeeper after this one. Absolutely. I mean, it's it definitely makes you kind of re- realize – now, where they took the investment, not only on the uh, the international roster spot, and the you know we got to assume that the loan wasn't free, but just the possibility of bringing them in and and what they could turn that around for. Peter, may I may I tease a Huntsman dump on pause later in the show? Oh yes, yep. Please Stay do. Stay tuned. And may I recommend that everybody follow his girlfriend <laughs> on Instagram? That's true. Because if you want to find out, if you want to find out what's going on in Martin's personal life and where he hangs out around Dallas, Fort Worth, and where they live, uh, she uh, posts photos on the regular, and uh, it's pretty fun to watch uh, him play pool with his friends on occasion. So yeah, she got two hundred fifty thousand followers too. Yeah, she's a a popular lady. Um, Okay, so enough about that. Sorry, I got yeah got started. Got distracted there. Uh, so the game did turn at halftime, but let's take a moment to really revel in this thing. The aforementioned, I don't know, where we call it. We have to come up with an official name for this goal, right? Is it the Cervania? 
Uh, is it the let's go? Is it the let's go, Brandon? I don't know. What do <laughs> yeah. what do we what do we call this thing? Because it is so epic uh, and so perfectly timed, exactly when the team needed it, uh, and it's so out of. It felt like so out of nowhere for most everybody. I just feel like if just talking about it isn't enough, it needs a name. I, I don't have a name, but he hits that in practice uh, prior to. His do, him doing it, the I used to call that the Lazo because you remember Lazo Alavani did that once for midfield, bombed right like that, yeah, yeah, a drive. And because this was more driven than Kenny's, Kenny Cooper's was a giant floater, this was more like the Lazo one, which was a rip. Uh, I mean, that thing was knuckling. Uh, maybe it's a Charlie Huff, that's an old reference, man. I bet Dan doesn't know that one. Probably I have no idea what you're on. <laughs> Charlie Huff was a knuckleball pitcher for the Rangers in the 80s. <laughs> I think a lot. Just imagine like a guy that like smokes <laughs> cigarettes on the mound. Yeah, that kind of guy. Oh, he was awesome. Yeah, he was like a thousand years old. Uh, so he plays for Tulsa FC, is what you're saying? Yeah, he probably still pitches for somebody if he's still alive. <laughs> probably yes, <laughs> like some over yeah. fifty league, yeah. beer league somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have a good name for it, Peter, but it's an absolute bomb of a shot, man. It's just ridiculous. Repeated <laughs> say it shows. What? <laughs> was just, for some reason, I just expected you to jump in and go, yeah, it shows. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dan? <laughs> it was just Dan. a bomb. That's all you go. It's a bomb. Yeah. I, I was hoping you, of all people, would have a clever name for it. Look, you know English people. It's a worldie. That's about it. It's a worldie or it's a bomb or it's, you know... Okay. We we don't have a a whole lot of names for things. I know, but I think it deserves its own. All right, maybe people listening to the pod can submit names, but I'm telling you, it deserves a name, Uh, and uh, and 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 a worldly just doesn't do it justice because it's our very own special. A moment. He thunderbolled the the ball. <laughs> that's thunder, thunder. thunderbolic. I like thunderbolic. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure uh, that's a goal we're going to talk about for years. You know, every time we talk about Brandon, be like, oh, you remember that time he hit that fifty yard? The time, you know, the time of it. I mean, the timing of it was better than the goal itself. You know, just to score right in injury time and a half, you've absolutely been battered, and to see the the dejection on the uh, Rapids players' faces coming off the field then. Well, yeah, well, well, the Yarborough's reaction, the different angles that show how much knuckle Wait, was he on didn't the ball. React to it, that was the point. Wait, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, no, I'm talking about the reaction as he's sitting on the ground, <laughs> on his ass, going, "What in the world just happened?" And the, you're right, Dan. The timing was amazing, and everybody else's reaction, the teammates' reaction, the Rapids players' reaction was all just like, "Holy crap! I can't believe that just happened," uh, and it totally changed the game. You know, go goals change games and that was you know you don't like giving up goals if you're a team in the last minutes before halftime but to give up a goal just before halftime and give up that kind of goal like an absolute blaster man that's just that was uh that i'm gonna be shocked if it's not uh goal of the week it have was, they not announced it that wasn't yet? Winning it wasn't. It. oh my gosh job Paolo um, won. Uh, I mean, uh, the crazy thing is, you know, it's, they, they say like, you know, it's the worst or best time for, for managers. And it's true. It's so much easier for Nico to walk into the locker room and say, okay, guys, we're level. We don't have to, we don't have to come back from anything. Here's the adjustment. Go out and do it. Right. Then, oh, you know, we're going to try this and then we're going to try and claw our way back and, you know, just. 
Well, it was fantastic, and uh, it was a, a whole thing. And what came out of that was a fantastic piece of video that the club tweeted out of a camera that had been positioned in the broadcast room of Mark and Steve. Uh, and it is one of my favorite pieces of video I have watched in a long time, and I really geeked out over it, and I was tweeting some commentary about it. And I told somebody in the Discord I would explain why I felt like there were five very clear and specific broadcasting skills uh, and uh, choices on display in that you just don't see enough uh, in, in broadcasting. So I, if we have time, maybe I'll, I'll get into yes. that here before the end of the yes. pod. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Wow, that's very It'll be a long podcast. Yeah, go ahead. No, I'll try to keep. No, it we'll cut it honest. short. That's all that matters. That's the content <laughs> I want right now. Why? Why do you want it? Because I saw you say it in Discord, and I was like, I need to know the answer to this. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm, I, hey, yeah. I'm, I'm honored you care enough that much, uh, Dan. Uh, all right, so let's talk more about the game and and uh, a little bit, Dan. I promise we'll get to the other oh, stuff okay. later. Oh. I promise. Uh, the game is going on. You know, Colorado continues to push and and try to make opportunities. But now here comes the Jesus Ferreira show, uh, and Jesus continues to do what he's been doing this season, at least uh, here lately. And to Dan's earlier comment, man, that first finish was just unbelievably good and sharp and and um, so good. Yeah, that that goal actually triggered me back to uh, a thought that was from 2019 when Jesus was first having his really good season, and we used to talk about it a lot and what a good goal scorer he was, it's very specific to me when we talk about Jesus how much better he is when his shots are fast. And I don't mean like he hits the ball hard. I don't mean fast like that. I mean that it's... Quickly taken. Quickly taken. It's either no touches to set up or maybe one tiny touch and then a rip. You know, like tattoo-like turn and rip. It's like when he picks up the ball and wants to take two or three dribbles and a move and like do this other stuff, that's terrible. When Jesus, the less he thinks about it and the more it's just like click bang, the better he is as a finisher and the better, I want more of this, more of this kind of shots from him. One timers, maybe that tiny touch and turn, classic stuff. That's really good. So how much, uh, you know, the one thing that we, that I also find fascinating about this game was, is that our shiny new toy was kind of quiet on the evening in Velasco. There wasn't a lot of Allen to talk about. That's a good point. There wasn't, but uh, I think that um, he's been in the league long enough now that people have recognized what he's doing, recognized who he is and are starting to key a little bit towards him. You know, and I actually think that's why you're seeing a little more freedom from Jesus in terms of his movement because they're they're tracking Velasco. So I, I'm not I wouldn't put any worries on it or anything, but it's definitely there are going to be some times where uh, he's not going to get as much as many opportunities because people are basically following him around the field. Yeah. They don't quite do that because they use a back three, but uh, you know, it, there definitely was not a like ordinarily when you face a back four, you're playing a, a little more of a zonal. Like you get handed off really quickly when you have back threes you probably don't get that handoff as much. You probably have one guy more in your zone more often, and that's probably a tough way for him to react and play. I've got a question uh, for you both. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so I was going to actually put it in that takeaways piece, but I was like, I can't really ask a question in it because it's takeaways. It's not a question. <laughs> um, the wing swaps. Was that primarily, in, in your, both your opinions, for the benefit of Obreon or Velasco? That's a good question. Probably, 
probably I'm going to say, since I've already talked to Peter, I'll just jump in. I'm going to say Velasco to move him away from, is it Beta Shore over on that side for Colorado? No. Who the hell was that over there? Well, let me look at the lineup real fast. Well, while he's thinking about that, let me also, let me throw this idea at you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. But man, I want to talk about Abubakar's hair at some point. I got a thousand wild, questions yeah. about that thing. Um, uh, like I'm jealous kind of questions, by the way. And, um, but is it possible that Nico did that to create confusion? Like, oh, wait, we weren't expecting them to start out with these guys swapped like this, and, and we hadn't really planned on that. Does that make sense, Buzz? Yeah. Uh, most, of the time where he, most of the time where I've asked him about shifts, it's been for a very specific tactical reason, like you know, related to the way the other team presses or the spacing or something like that. So I didn't ask him about this one. My assumption is the answer is going to be something about how the space is in the back line or how – Obreon matches up with Abubakar better or something like that. You know, that I think mm -hmm. that's probably likely to be the answer. Um, I remember when Paxton and Brandon swapped that game, it, it was because they played a higher line they, and he wanted those guys to have their opposite foot be set up to swing balls in behind, you know, so he switched them like that. So it's those kinds of things he's tweaking for usually. So I would lean towards that thinking. I, I don't have an answer on this one though. Sorry. All right, so Dan, uh, back into your review of the game. One of the things that, I mean, we talked about Brandon's uh, amazing night, but there was some interesting stuff going on with Paxton and, Bra and Brandon and Cerillo as well, and, and I wonder what you thought about their performances as a trio. It was interesting. Um, it was interesting just how defensive all three of them were at one point or another. Uh, you know, as Buzz had mentioned, the, uh, the Cerillo slide, I like that. I wish I'd have thought of that because that's way better than me calling it inverting the triangle, um, <laughs> which made sense if you look at the diagram. Yeah. Right, yeah. Cast. Uh, uh, yeah, it was, I mean, it was good to see them all, all uh, covering back defensively, but and the midfield was, was kind of a void at times. Well, they were really struggling, and I and I man, I felt like it's again we talk about this every pod. Just the amount of energy and work Paxton and Brandon are doing this season, I I just I do worry a little bit. And I know that you guys, uh, and I think you mentioned it, Dan, in your article that you guys have a little bit of a running concern with Paxton based on something you saw in practice last week. Yeah, he had uh, put up. Uh with a, a groin issue and he, I think, you know, there was a point that Farfan made this run outside of him and he was like, Hey man, that was a great run. Uh, right now I can't hit that pass to you. Sorry. And, uh, wow. yeah, a point where you're like, just get out of the session and don't make it any worse. Cause I mean, I'm, I'm sure we've all played with some sort of tight groin tightness or an injury groin. You can't help, but just make it worse. Yeah. Buzz, do you have any additional insight into Paxton's health situation? Not specifically. I mean, I, I saw him today, and he, and he says, as he always does, that he feels great. And he was moving really well today. You know, no signs of whatever that is. When you go through the course of his season, guys all the time have bangs and knocks here and there. With Paxton, it's often that same area, you know, mm -hmm. groin, uh, 
core, you know, it's, it hips, you know, it's all in there with the, cause of the torquing he does to himself because of the way he plays. We've talked about it a million times. Right. He's just, the kid just runs through people, you know, and it's just puts too much stress on his body. So, I mean, I, I actually specifically asked last week, Nico about, you know, will you, will you tell that kid to cool it off? And he's like, no, 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 I can't do that. Is that's not the way Paxson <laughs> plays, man. It's that's like, that's how he's wired. Yeah. I think the funniest thing last week is we're standing near where they're doing like the GPS readouts. And, you know, there's someone like, there's one of the, uh, the trainers is running over, checking like what Paul Ariola's numbers looking like in warm up, And then when he's doing some jogging and some ball work on the other field, uh, for a groin issue, and then you've got Paxton's gone down, clutching his groin, <laughs> hobbling along. Like I'm not hitting any passes on my left foot. Sorry, no, can't do it right now. <laughs> like I feel like the concern should be equal here. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's a tough kid, and uh, I love the season they're having so far. And and I don't know if you guys have noticed, but slowly but surely, the rest of the media, soccer media. Uh, iterati or whatever we want to call it is slowly starting to catch up with us in terms of hey is anybody paying attention to the yep. fact that Dallas is playing three homegrowns in the middle of the field and what that means in terms of the league uh, I'm starting to see more and more acknowledgement of that yeah it's fun it, they're actually progressing faster than I expected as a group I thought they would be a little more struggles with the fact that all three of them are basically 21 22 you know and right. for, for that to be, for that not to be the, the, our only concern is how much work they're doing. It's like, we're not at all concerned with any of their play. I mean, Paxton, you, we knew would be good. Paxton's Paxton. You knew he was going to be fine. As long as he's healthy, he's fine. But Brandon and has been inconsistent right over the course of his career. And even in, within a single season, he's been amazing and then poor. And Edwin is every time we say, okay, here's the next thing Edwin needs to do. He does it. But the last one was this leap into like grab the starting job and hold it. And he's done it and he's been phenomenal and maybe even the most consistent performer over the whole season so far, Edwin. So I, I can't believe how good they've been. And we haven't once had a game where we're like, oh man, Brandon was terrible today. I mean, or, or, or Edwin was terrible today. It's all it is. All we're worried about is the workload, which is amazing. The thing is, well, you look at like mid game adjustments, so many players find those hard to sort of settle into, and Edwin, especially, because he's the one that gets moved around the most. That like whole, all right, go 10 yards this way. Actually, no, slot back between the center backs. Actually, no, wait, we're going to play as a, th a flat three midfield today, and you're actually going to be the, the, you know, the, the aggressive uh, presser. He just does it. Like, there's no, there's no adjustment, there's no nothing. He, this season, he's just been. It's like the Ryan Hollinshead thing, except for him trying to play right back or centre back. Um, you know, of just you tell him to do it and he does it. Yeah, the intelligence of the players, adaptability of the player's mind in the moment is an emphasis with this coaching staff and from the selections to how they run drills to how they run training sessions. The, this kind of tweaking on the fly, adjusting on the fly, making mental decisions about the game on the fly is a core of what they're trying to do. All right, I want to move on, and I want to point out that I am I, I can't quite figure out what this means, that it's we've gone through this entire conversation and have not brought up Matt Hedge's health status because I, would, I feel like normally in any other given year, Matt Hedge's subbing out at halftime would have been cause for alarm and it would have been the number one thing we talked about, and I'm not sure if we're giving it short shrift or we're not as worried about it because Tafari we love. Um, but do we know what happened with Matt and what his status is? 
He pulled up at one of the... He was chasing a ball back that went out for a goal kick. He kind of pulled up a little bit with something in his calf. Uh, he made it through to half time, And then I, I think a lot of the reason we don't make a, a ton of it is that Nico is very big on precautionary subs, whereas not not every coach has been. And Nico's mm. you know, got the luxury of the five subs to to help with that and not having one of those three moments being halftime. But, uh, yeah, we've seen so much in terms of that and load management that it, it doesn't feel like, you know, ah, Hedges is out for the year. I mean, Buzz has obviously been at practice, so hopefully yeah. he knows something. Well, thanks to our man Nico, our man Nico, Nico Mendez, he asked the other Nico on the conference call today, the Zoom call about Hedges specifically, and coach said he's fine. That he trained. Oh. I could have told you he trained with the team today, but the coach said the same thing. So no, no big deal. He's good to go. Everything's cool. Okay. So on a night where the team was under a lot of pressure and Colorado was dropping bombs from left and right, trying to do that cross, you know, that Jack Price crossing the ball or whoever, uh, you know, for, uh, set pieces crossing the ball in, just really putting a lot of pressure. How do we feel like the defense played, Buzz? Did they hold up? Did they? Was it? Keystone cops and got lucky. What was your kind of gr your grading out on that part of the game? I thought they were fine. You know, other than the exploitation problem with the big gap on the one side, once they adjusted to that, you know, for, for the most part in this game, we saw the same pretty good defense we've seen all season. They've mostly prevented people from getting in behind them by playing this mid block that they've been doing with this, you know, four cross and then three cross in front, the, the midfield guys. That was getting stretched, and that's where the, the problems came in, and they fixed it. You know, the one weakness I see right now is um, is the Martinez pace question. <laughs> but Farfan has covered up for it, and so does Hedges. So um, I, I don't I, I don't see any massive deficiencies in the defense so far. I mean, that look, that was the big thing this year, right, was to stop the goals allowed. And they've given up, what are we at, three or something? It's, it's like, you know, it's now up to uh, four. Sorry four, not three, goals they've allowed on the season. That's a spectacular low number when you're looking at teams like Portland's given up 13 and San Jose 15. I mean, you know, they've they've solved the defense from a massive point of view. And again, they've they've allowed opportunities, but rarely have they allowed people to challenge pause. This is the first game they needed the keeper to come up big, and he did. Yeah. So the question I want to ask about the one goal in the 30th minute, is that a is that a byproduct of the of the problems tactically between the two formations or did Hedges and or Martinez uh, fail to mark Rubio correctly? Or is it both all the all of the above? Dan. Um, so I say it starts with that ball over the top that Farfan's a little bit away on. Martinez gets dragged out left Yeah, there's a turnover in midfield, and I think Farfan is caught in transition, correct? Yeah, I want to say he went up real high, like super aggressive, but yeah. There has been one or two times this season where Farfan has getting, gotten caught way up. If he turns over or somebody else turns it over and he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't sprint all the way back. I mean don't, that's not on him if the other team's like counterattacking oh. with my, Michael Barrios, but you know. It was that one where Farfan went for like a fifty fifty up where you would expect to see Paxton. Um yeah, and then Paxton's trying to chase after 
Barrios, Varvin's trying to, try, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, no, that, that's a, that was rough. That was that was their game plan working as as they wanted it. Yeah, it, it's a, it's the defense getting stretched by the pace. You know, again, that was the problem they solved. Uh, you know, at, at halftime, so that problem went away. Okay. Usually, you only have to worry about the set play, plays with Colorado. You know, and, and they found a way to actually exploit Dallas, and and then Dallas adjusted. So that's really nice in the end. Okay. Well, I, it's interesting. And where is uh where is the uh, Nanu meter today, Buzz? The Nanu meter today is broken. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, it's cracked. it's so bad it's broken. <laughs> no, he's hurt. Oh, it's hurt. Yeah, he was not in session today. So was his sub due to that, or that he just wasn't playing all that hot? Uh, I don't know for sure. Um, I don't think he was playing all that hot to begin with. I mean, my nanometer is firmly entrenched on meth. You know, um, <laughs> so you said meth. You no, know, not meth. Meth. Yeah, I'm just kind of like I don't get it. I mean, I'm, listen, I have people say to me like, "What's the deal?" I'm like, "Man, I don't know." Um, I think the appropriate term of this meter is it, it's, it's currently set at Shazbot. Shazbot. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely not not an anu. Um Yeah, so he uh, just to skip ahead, he and Khalil El Medkour both are out of training right now with not major stuff, just little knocks. Uh, you know, there's a chance that both could be available again this weekend. So you know, if you like Nanu in there, uh, there's a good chance he will be. You know, it's just missed a session today or yesterday or whatever. I know Coach told me that they were going to find out more specifically, like whether he needed a little time off or whether he'll be back, you know, today, later today, they, they were going to learn. So, hmm. um, but, so he wasn't at the session today. So I was like, Whoa, uh, you know, I'm not, I, I don't know that he gives you all that much more than Ima Tomasi does. You know, I mean, even if it's just a tiny bit more, I, I don't just... see the point, you know, it's my thing. Um, I, I just don't, the style's wrong to me. I don't like it, but I think Ima, it just he just looks like his and Steven talked to Steve even mentioned this in the broadcast you know his uh ball retention and security just feels and looks better by the eyeball test I mean I don't know if yeah. I looked at the numbers if that would prove it out but just my my sense is is that I don't worry that Emma's gonna lose the ball at midfield in the same way that I see Nanu doing currently. And I don't and again, I'm not quite sure I've seen enough of him to figure out if that is a byproduct of a guy learning to play with a bunch of guys he just met a few months ago, or if he's just not got it. You know, I'm not hundred percent sure. Yeah, he, he tends to kind of put his head down and charge forward. Uh and and I I'm not a big fan of players that give away balls in bad positions. Cause that's how at the, at that, the pro level, international level, that's how you get beat when you make a mistake right. like that, you know, and listen, anybody can do it. I've Paxson's done it, you know, Farfan, we just talked about Farfan doing it. You know, it, it happens. Um, you, you, what you don't want to have is having a, a lot. And I didn't look at the numbers, but I feel like Nanu's more prone to that because he kind of, once he sort of gets going, he can't, it doesn't look like he is a guy to me that can cut, or turn sharply like Paxson on a dime, you know, I mean, Paxson is like nobody, but um, I, I'm, I'm just not, it's not blowing me away. And I honestly don't, just don't see the point other than Munjoma is not really ready either. So it's like, you kind of need to, and he wants the coach wants to players at every position. Right. So you kind of needed somebody and, and tomasi has got um, a sore foot, but it's nothing that's keeping him out. He's just kind of like, it hurts when he kicks the ball sometimes, I guess. Um, you know, everyone's got stuff right now. I mean, every player on the team's got something, but 
I don't get it. I'm not in on the Nanu for thing. I mean, it's funny, but I'm not in on him as a player so far. Maybe he'll change my mind eventually, but he hadn't yet. Okay. And uh, I think, is it a fair shout to say that there's an aspect of the Ferreira second goal that really was maybe the best part of the game because it was just such a great dagger and it was great to see them capitalize on the opportunity and actually convert it and Ferrer to finish. You know, a lot of times you see a lot of dudes across a lot of leagues get in that in that situation and totally muff that up. I mean, I certainly like that Jesus is turning into a clutch player. I certainly like an idea that Oscar used to talk about all the time, especially in his early days, was you've got to learn how to win games. You know, and this team looks like it's doing that, like it's figuring out how to get over the hump, even when you're bad. You know, I mean, they, they when you only have 35 percent possession and you still win, I mean, that's crazy. You outshot 16 to seven. I mean, I mean, by the way, Peter, efficiency, you're right. Six of their seven shots were on goal for Dallas. That's a remarkable efficiency. It's something we've noticed this year as a yeah. trend. So, I mean, that's th- that kind of efficiency will, will probably lead you to be a good team holding the opposition to bad efficiency you know, not good shots from then. Even if your keeper had to make five saves in this one game and save you, that's still, you know, this is the first time he's had to do that. Um, you know, and all that's a combination of Hedges being out some and Tafari being in there and Martinez being a little slow and all that together, you know, so it's not great. And then you manage to get the win. I mean, that's that's how you build locker rooms. That's how you build camaraderie. Everyone's feeling good. You give the guys a day off here and there. You know, everyone feels great. I mean, this is how you win games in, in this league and get yourself on the top half of the league you know this is how you do it well uh dan you got any other th- comments about uh, dallas three colorado one uh, i believe you know you keep talking about grind out wins i mean that's what we call a champions win uh, mm. at home because that's at the end of the season typically the difference is those you know the uh turning a loss into a win are you predicting anything right now? Mm. Five or six games into the season, Sir Crook. No, I'm just saying that's that's like one of those <laughs> nice ones when you think of the season when they went, they were going for seventh, and uh, San Jose scored that real like 97th minute equalizer against Minnesota. Well, these are the points that stop that from happening. The same way. They, you know, tied with like a dog shit RSL team and, you know, those were the points that cost them then. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, it was a very nice win and it certainly has the team feeling good. What are they up to? Like fourth now in the league? They're fifth, actually. Fifth in the standings. What's weird about that is I was looking at the standings the other day, Peter, and I noticed that they're, they're technically tied on 11 points with Austin Houston. How weird is that, by the way? And they're um, all in the same points per game, too. Yeah. Wow. And think about like think about how good we feel about this team right now. If you were in a league that actually played for like the first place team being a championship, you'd be like, Dallas sucks. <laughs> I mean, they're they're like, you know, I mean, Philadelphia's on 16. It's like they're already five back. It's like you would you would be like, we're having a terrible season. But this isn't that kind of league. So now we're all really excited because we're Dallas is in fifth place. And compared to where they were last year, that's really awesome. You know, they've they've fixed all the defensive issues. and See, this is you know. where I turn to my English friend Dan and go, hey, Dan, aren't playoffs kick-ass? <laughs> okay, so what I would love MLS to do is the same thing that um, rugby does. You have a regular season champion, you have a playoff winner, 
and they are held in the same regard. And then if yeah. you have them play off for an overall thingy, great. The only yeah. person that doesn't but, hold the shield in regard is Peter. Yeah. Well, and again, <laughs> the only reason why I think the shield is yeah. worthless is because it doesn't apply. It doesn't. Yeah. It's not based on anything that shields of that of uh, awards of that construction are based on. If it was yeah. in it, you, uh, I, uh, fuck it. I'm not going to try to. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, it's, the un, it's the unbalanced if, schedule, even within its own conference. That's the dumbest thing in the whole world. Although yeah. maybe it's not unbalanced in the conference anymore. I mean, what I'd love to see is if they did like. Uh, you know, uh, like balance the schedule again, and they do a silver staff for the uh, for the regular season and a gold staff for the playoffs or something like that, and then you, yeah. you recognize both achievements. Uh, by the way, in the shield standings, Dallas is sixth on eleven points with Austin five, Dallas six, Houston seven. So, yeah, hey, just a funny thought I have when I'm like, if you were in an English league, you'd be like, that's terrible. We got to get back into the EU spots. You know, I mean, it's you wouldn't even talk about title. It's kind of funny that the Western Conference playoff spots right now are ourselves the only team that actually made the playoffs last year from the Western Conference that oh, are currently yeah. in it. Wow. Really? Yeah. Yeah, you got two California teams, three Texas teams, and uh Nashville were in the east. Yeah. Well the other thing the other thing I want to talk about before we move on to other things is it appeared to be another uh nice evening and crowd. And the crowd was in particularly good spirits, and I and I'm just wondering, uh, did uh, either were either one of you at the game? I was not at the game. I know Buzz wasn't. Were you yeah. there, Dan? Uh, I got a cough that evening, so I technically uh, <laughs> didn't meet the uh, the criteria to to get in. So I, I was I emailed him like, "Hey, I'm going to stay home and watch the game." Okay, all right. Well, uh, so Dallas is, uh, you know, as good as that is, because uh, they're averaging right around uh, 15,000 people, that does have them up to 22nd in the league in terms of average. So just FYI. Uh, but it is considerably up from last season. They're up over 2,000. But it does look and feel better so far, and I like it. And the other thing that we need to talk about, and I can do this officially now because I had been getting word from people that were aware of it but weren't supposed to be talking about it publicly. Uh, and But uh, then it came up in Nico's... Was it Alex. Nico's article? It was Alex. oh, Alex's article about the new marketing guy. So I don't know if everybody's ready for this, and I'm not 100% sure how I feel about it because I have a feeling it's one of those deals, and until I see it, I don't know how to judge it. Yeah. But by all accounts, FC Dallas, and I think it's going to be the Houston game that they're going to debut this. Okay. They are having constructed a 30-foot-tall, three-story-tall version of the FC Dallas crest that will be mounted in some fashion. I don't know if it's going to hang or lean like, like a, like a picture on a tabletop. I don't know how this is going to work behind the North goal. And this is somehow an attempt to address all of the things that we talk about, how awful the North end is. But what I've also been told is that not only is it this, but it's going to be some sort of, uh, uh, not interactive, but it is going to potentially feature, maybe not on day one, maybe down the road, LED lighting. So reactive to the game. Yes, reactive to the game um, and smoke and potentially fire. My thought is that you know whose fault this is, whether it be good or bad. If you say me, I'm going to be very mad at you. It's us. Remember we had the idea of the cars on the stage with the horns and the lights. 
Yeah. I bet money that that led to this. The idea of having something no. on the stage that interacted to the game, that reacted to the game, that like did lights and smoke. What do you want to bet? Uh, okay. If we want, does that reach? I don't know, I, man. Uh, yeah. Well, I just to me that seems like if you're not going to put seats for people to sit and cheer, you got to put something up there. And we yeah. see so many stadiums that you know, it, uh, what is it? Atlanta's got that the the horn, and Montreal's got that big bell, and whatever. Just a bit, like bits are fun. Yeah. But I, I don't, I mean, I, I can't, I don't have a mental picture of what this is going to look like. And the only thing I will insist, and if they muck this up, I'm going to be pissed, is that if there's going to be fire emanating from this thing, it can only come from the mouth of the bull. Yeah. Because that would, right, it, it would, it would mirror the, yeah. the electric leg vomiting horse from the burn logo. Right? Yeah. I think that's a good idea. Uh, I'm trying to be really optimistic about it. You know, I'm trying to think of like, okay, okay, let's see this thing. Is it going to be any good? You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to go in with like that. This is going to suck. I, I'm hoping, hoping it's going to be good. Cause look right now, yeah. how, how much worse could it be than what it is right now? Cause it's well, terrible. If, <laughs> I mean, if it's just like a big piece of fabric with the logo p- posted on it, it's going to, you're going to go, Oh, okay, whatever. But if it's this uh, nicely constructed yeah. 3d, not like 3d figure, uh, that has, you know, led lighting and hell, get us some lasers and stuff to shoot out of the thing. Yeah. You know, if it really is, if you're going to do this, you got to go all the way in and turn it into an absolute bit. I mean, I can even think of like concert backdrops I've seen. Like if you just had like the the logo as a tarp with some concert lighting on it. I mean, that doesn't look horrible in some venues I've seen. So like even if just that might to me look better than just that bare cement that they have now. Uh, you know, if this is actually mm-hmm. even better than that, you know, I, I'm actually hoping that it's going to be pretty cool. Well, you know? I want something that Kiss or Pink yeah. Floyd would be proud of. Yeah, you don't want a, uh, a 12-inch... Uh, Stonehenge chopping. No, from I the don't. Ceiling. I just don't. I just don't want a thirty-foot-tall banner. Is what I don't want. <laughs> That's a that that to me is. I know. I get it. <laughs> Dan, you're you're conspicuously you're you're unusually quiet about this. Are you are you worried about this? I'm interested. To see, cause, I mean, here's the thing. Um, there's a very strong north-south wind at the stadium. Um, so if it's like a solid piece, that's an issue unless it's mounted to that wall with the ivy, in which case no one's ever going to see it anyway. Um, 30 foot is roughly half of the height of the, to the roof that says Toyota stadium. It's never really going to be on camera too much, or maybe just the bottom of it. Like it'd be interesting how much of a, an addition to the game day experience and to the broadcast that it, it really is. Yeah. Yeah, and the atmosphere of the stadium. I mean, if it gets something, the crowd going. I don't know, man. I, I guess mean, how we'll many times, Peter, have we talked about interesting I've got idea. an amazing idea. How's the execution go? That's been, go ahead, Dan. Forget a 30-foot logo. Put the supporters back behind the goal. <laughs> <laughs> Never going to happen. Uh, so frustrating. Never going to uh, happen. 
Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, uh, apparently, by all accounts, we will get our debut of aforementioned bit behind North Goal bit on the twenty third when Houston Ooh. comes to town, uh, which will which will be interesting. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's see. What else did we want to talk about there? Oh, so Dallas does play New York coming up this Saturday, six p.m. on TXA twenty one. They're going up to see the old Red Bulls and Buzz. I know you went to practice. Any yeah. any uh, predictions or thoughts about sure. that i have some practice stuff let me start by saying that there was no training session on tuesday this week so that meant like there was no training for me to go to mm. so did somebody tell you uh i or actually did you drive all the way to no. frisco and, okay well i was i was the schedule comes out i couldn't find the schedule so i like i just texted the contact when i was because i was already up there for the dallas cup and I was going to stay in Frisco and just go to practice in the morning. And they're like, there's no Tuesday practice. And I was like, oh, no, because I set up my whole day around it. So Wednesday, as always, was closed session. But coach was nice enough to let me come anyway on Wednesday. Oh, so I wow. got the red letter <laughs> stamp of approval from Coach Nico to let me come watch the whole session on Wednesday. And I felt that was pretty cool. We turned a corner, me and Nico. We're just <laughs> Yeah. Is this just this one Wednesday, or you now I, have Wednesday access? Well, I didn't ask about that. I, start, I started you didn't push your one. luck. Yeah, I mean, and they just asked me. Like the the PR contacts just said, "I will check and see if you can come on Wednesday," and he said yes. So I wasn't going to go. Okay, now ask him about every Wednesday. I was like, I'm just going to take the one, and I was like, I was on my P's and Q's. I didn't want to mess anything up. So I, I there there probably is a line I'm going to draw here when we get into this tactics. Uh, where I'm not going to tell you specifically something I saw. I'm going to tell you about it generally because I don't want to get it out there. So the first thing is that um, this coach is making decisions about workload and and taking giving guys game off without any sort of predictable pattern so far. So any given time when I say, here's who I think is going to start, it's entirely possible that one of those things could be completely wrong just because it's like that dude's day to have a day off. Um, the other, the really interesting thing was that you remember, remember last week that I mentioned that they wanted to start working on another formation to have some changes. And, I, and I'm going to call it like a variation or adaptation. So that happened this week. They're working on a new shape. This is not the 4-4-2, which is a variance of what they play. They, they slide Paxton up and the wings slide wide, right? That's just a variation of what they do now. It's not a three-man back line with Edwin dropping in. Again, that's just a variation. So this is a different shape. It's not radically different, but it is different. And this is where I'm not going to tell you what it is because I don't want people to know that Dallas is working in this new particular formation. When it happens, if it happens, I'll point it out uh, whenever I get around to watching the game. <laughs> and if I notice it when I'm working, if I notice it from my phone or something, I'll mention it too. So potential lineup, sorry, potential tactical change, hypothetically in the cards at some point. Is it for New York? I don't know, but possible. Um, Nanu possibly being out could mean Ima's in with that little knock on Nanu. So that's Hedges in Martinez, probably most likely Paxton, Brandon, Edwin, Farfan on the left, you know, Velasco, Ariolas back in training. He looks great. He's fine. Cleared to go. Jesus is there. I mean, it's, it's the guys that you would expect it to go. The other really fascinating thing that was happening today, uh, is that, this is the first coach I've ever seen, and he's done it enough now that it's actually, I know it's not just a one-off. It's a thing that he does. Um, all coaches worry about workload. Uh, they all give players 
days off. Mario Diaz needed lots of days off. Sometimes they'll let a guy just sort of step out of training halfway through, or he'll maybe do like the first 10 or 15 minutes and then step out. This coaching staff specifically designs drills to ease workload on certain players. So like the, the first main drill today was a possession style game, almost 11 versus 11, except that at any given moment, three players would be standing on the side watching instead of taking part. And it was always a straight swap. Brandon and Paxton did a straight swap. Edwin and Faco did a straight swap and Hedges and Martinez did a straight swap. So those three, those six players only did half the rotations of everybody else. Does that make sense? So the drill is designed to ease workload on players that are in high workload positions that are high, that are going through heavy shifts, if you will. So in addition to days off, in addition to these using the five subs to manage load, they're now actively using specific kinds of drills to ease load and in having a whole day off Tuesday, the whole team had a day off Tuesday. So it's a fascinating process to watch when you see something like that in a coach and, and anybody out there can predict what the lineup will be. You can clearly see who he thinks the best 11 is. And if everyone's healthy, that's who it'll be. The question is, is Nando healthy? And is he going to give somebody a day off? I don't think he'll give somebody a day off on New York. They do have three games next week though. There's an open cup game. Mm-hmm. So don't undersell the idea. I mean, obviously the open cup game, you'll have some guys come in. I'm sure Tafari plays that game. I'm sure Faco plays that open cup game. You know, you can pick out lots of dudes that probably will play that open cup game, but you know, one or two guys might have to go in more than in the open cup possibly. So maybe there'll be some rotations some other places. What he does with that. I don't, I, I, it's hard to tell, you know, I, I think the New York game will be straight up and then they'll adapt from the open cup game on. I wonder how much uh, was was the FC Dallas night at the Stars game last night Tuesday? Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, they were all there. I saw a bunch of the videos again. I saw if you follow Mr. Paz's girlfriend on Instagram, you yeah. will see that they all went to the Stars game last night. Yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah, interesting. So maybe that was part of the reason why they had the day off is they knew they had a big evening in front of them uh, with all the st- Stars players. Maybe this coach seems to be into rewarding winning. You know, there's the story about him bringing cookies when they win and stuff. Uh, so maybe it's like, maybe it's like well, you win, you Tiff. get a day off. Yeah. He brings up like 15 boxes of Tiff treats. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, post-game. culture, awesome. right? Culture is big. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> that would be such a cool promotion. Like if the team yeah. wins, everybody gets a Tiff's treats cookie at the exit when you, when yeah. you leave the stadium, a warm cookie. That would be, be fun. All right. So I have two more things that I talked to coach about. Uh, okay. One is Shun and the other is a Huntsman dump with Yeah, Paz. What is going on with Mr. Shun? He wasn't even yeah. in the 18. I know. I asked him about that and he said that, uh, you know, the international work that he's done, you know, has derailed a little bit of his adjustment to, to the team, to the, to what they're doing. He's been gone a couple of times at rough times. But he also basically just said that, you know, when you're talking about a guy who is in a national team, we need to see more from him. You know, the bottom line is that, like, when he's coming back, he's just not performing well enough in training yet to, like, work his way in. And there's a high expectation from him. Based on last year, based on the fact, remember what we talked about the winter, how much they loved this U22 development because Shun was so good, you know, and he's going off to his national team. And it's like, you know, we need you need to be performing like Jesus and, and Ariola are, and I don't mean in a game. I mean in training. You need to show more. And that basically is the answer. He's just not doing enough and has been gone too much to get really completely integrated. So yeah, I would I would assume he'll start the Open Cup game. I mean, I don't know why he wouldn't, right? I mean, that's perfect opportunity for him to get God. something. 
Yeah, if you ain't starting the Open Cup game, there are much bigger problems. Yeah. Oh, if he's just any... on the bench for the Open Cup game, I'll be like, dude, you know, yeah. yeah. Uh, we've and seen then... that. We've seen that story play itself yeah. out many times over the last yeah. twenty-six years. Yeah, we have. Yeah, yeah. If you can't get in the Open Cup game and you're on the bottom of the roster, then you're, you well, Nicky Hernandez loan out probably is what happens when you can't. Do and that. now is it now time for the Huntsman dump? It is. Okay. So the Huntsman dump is related to. It's not a major one. It's a minor one. It's related to Martin Paz because. The question's been floating around like, man, this guy's loan is only through July. You know, do they really like him? Are they going to buy him? What's the deal? So I said, okay, hey, coach, Nico, you know, Martin Paz's loan is only through July. Have you guys, and he interrupted me and he said, it's the whole year. Oh. I said, what? I said, no, that was reported through July. He said, that was only like a trigger of some kind. He wasn't specific that said if he was not playing, like if he had not broken through and was never going to break through and that was for them to be able to dump him basically. So whatever has happened contractually, I guess coach tells me that they have him for the whole season and it's just down to whether they want to buy him or not now, basically. So now hypothetically, could he be wrong? Entirely possible, but I doubt they would tell the coach that he hasn't for the year if he didn't. I mean, that would be a big problem, right? So I take him at his word that he says that they have pause for the whole season. So that... That's the Huntsman dump is that Nico, Coach Nico Steves told me that they have him for the whole year and not just till July. So it's a hell of a dump. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty good dump. Because I asked him, I said, oh, is this kind of, in a vague sense, is it like when uh, Quinones was sold here and it was like if he starts 15 games, the buy becomes automatic. And he's like, well, yeah, sort of. And I'm, he said, but I'm, there's all kinds of those things in lots of contracts that I don't know about. But he said very specifically that they have him paused for the whole season. So that's great. And then that's today good. the team uh, announced a loan. Yeah, Nicky Hernandez. Now, we've talked about him many times on this pod, and I've done burns about him. This is perfect. That's a guy who's a good example. Like MLS Next Pro right now is not as good as USL 1 was. The ML, some of the MLS teams stink. So the gap between North Texas and Dallas is bigger than it was. Nicky Hernandez is not going to benefit from playing for North Texas right now. He's too good for that. So he was in a in limbo, stuck between that and FC Dallas. This guy desperately needs games. He had the compartment syndrome, you remember? And last year he was hurt all the time. So um, this is a perfect situation. San Antonio, I talked to some guy today. I don't, I don't even know who he was. Just on Twitter, he was telling me about their team. They need somebody. They play a double pivot, and they're short on bodies in that area, both skill-wise and because of injuries. And they play a physical style. Dickie will be perfect. It's a deep line kind of eight thing. That's his bag. You know that. He can get forward. So this is a perfect fit. That loan is for the season, although they can recall him. They have a little right of recall. But um, this is exactly what he needed. It's a good move by the club. It's a good move for San Antonio. And this is the kind of relationship you need. And this is why this demonstrates another gap in the structure of FC Dallas. They need relationships with USLC still. They need a chance to get guys like this games Eddie Munchen was another one that probably could use a deal like this if we didn't have Nano or or, or even Hurt, for example. But anyway, and okay, well, that's all good information. The other thing that I wanted to mention, uh, Buzz, is the Dallas Cup is here, 
and it's been going on for the last several days. Sunday was the day it started out at the Cotton Bowl, and with some of the results for the FC Dallas Academy teams up and down the different age groups, it's become very quickly and very clear to very. It's become very clear to me very quickly that you're going to end up spending an inordinate amount of time over the course of the next week or two reminding everybody what the whole point to the academy for FC Dallas is really all about. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you, there, there are some criticisms to be made. Uh, the 17s underachieved for like the third or fourth year in a row. There's some issues there. Draw your own conclusions to what they are. There definitely has been a fall off in recruiting. We've talked before about a lot of the good recruiters have left the academy. Peter Lucine's not there. Javier Morales went to Miami. Lucci, great recruiter, gone. Uh, the Bazan brothers were great recruiters. They're gone. So there has been a little bit of efficiency in recruiting. But overall, you know, the winning games isn't always the point. In particular, you can look at, for example, the U19 team. Who is overachieving right now? They're actually playing really well. But from that team alone... You're missing Ricardo Pepe. He's a 2003. He would still be a U19. Justin Shea, Dante mm-hmm. Seeley, Colin Smith, who's with North Texas, Jonathan Gomez, who went to Lou City, of course, but he was in that group, and Antonio Carrera, who's a 2004. And you can also include Santiano, Santiago Ferreira, who's up with North Texas, too, and did not play, even though he's an academy player and an amateur, he didn't play with him at all in this tournament. He's up with North Texas full-time. So you're, you're talking about seven guys that are missing out of that team. Well, you took the seven dudes. One of them was playing in Germany for $20 million. Another one's ready to go to <laughs> just went to, was it Hoffenheim chase at, you know, like these guys are, you're talking about it. Imagine the score lines. If those seven dudes were playing for FC Dallas's U19 team, right? It's ridiculous. So because of that, you now have 10 guys that are playing up with the 19s who are technically U17s. So effectively, they're fielding a U17 team in the U19 bracket, and they're fielding a U16 team in the U17 bracket. And they've got guys coming up to that team. And then the U15 team has guys that come up from the U14 team. So overall, Dallas is shuffling guys up. So they're playing against bigger, stronger, faster, more powerful players and more difficult opponents. And Dallas is also rotating lots of pieces in and out because they're they're managing the load on their players. They're developing lots of people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they're not really bad results. Now, do you want to win games? Absolutely. They don't care that much when their teams get knocked out. They, they, they looked at, like I, I even asked Nico today about it. He's like, oh, it's been great. He said, well, our guys are down there getting challenged. They're getting beat up by these older, bigger teams. It's been fantastic. So if you think that like, like if you think that winning your group or getting into the advanced stage means that FC Dallas isn't doing what it wants to do. You're crazy. Like a good academy produces one pro a year and you're one of the best academies in the world. If you can get two pros a year out of your academy, that's astronomical. And Dallas sometimes has way more than that. I mean, the 2003s has five pros out of it. So it's like, you know, the idea that Dallas is an academy is not doing well is just dumb. That means you don't understand what the point is. Because the point is not to win games and win youth tournaments. No one cares if you win that. The point is to, A, make them a boatload of money, and B, hopefully win a championship with guys like Paxson and Jesus, your homegrowns that stick around. So, uh, you know, there are some individual results that could have gone differently with some different personnel, perhaps. Maybe some coaches made some mistakes. 
in the end, they don't care. You know, they, they look at these big international tournaments. I mean, so many of, so much of their schedule, FC Dallas, is against teams that they thump all the time. So these big, huge tournaments where they can play tougher, better, harder teams, international teams, when they take the kids over to Bayern, when they take them down to Monterey, those are the times they put a lot of emphasis on that stuff. And that's what they really push and develop their kids outside their comfort zone. A lot less than when you beat Rio Grande Valley 8-1 to one with your second team. You know, it doesn't... Well, we told the story last week about FC Dallas and St. Louis, and uh, lo and behold, right there at the beginning of Dallas Cup, the rubber match between yeah. those two came up, and St. Louis ended up winning that game, and because it's weird, they're doing penalty kicks yeah. um, you know, to decide games instead of draws, and St. Louis ended up winning on penalty kicks. I was yeah. surprised by that. Does that, mean, does that mean that when Dallas played St. Louis down here that maybe they didn't bring their best players, or... What was the story behind that yeah, third all, game result? All that. Um, well, also, they play 30-minute halves, which is stupid. They no. don't play real games. <laughs> so um, St. Louis brought their guys down from MLS Next Pro that are like of age level equivalency. So they brought down a couple of really good guys. Fair. You bring who you bring, right? right. Dallas did not stack that team as much they had a couple of guys in, but they also heavily rotated because it was game two of their three days in a row game. So they're rotating guys in and out all the time. So the game was really even, you know, it was St. Louis is a more vertical, you know, track meaty kind of team, really big. Um, Dallas plays, you know, ball on the ground, tries to play their build out their four, three, three style that the first team plays. So there was a mismatch in styles, you know, an even relatively even game, um, you know, St. Louis got a goal and and they tied, you know, and, and went to PKs and and the and they won. So, yeah, one of the parents who was sitting next to me says, "Well, that was a lot better than losing fourteen nothing." <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I was like yeah." <laughs> so it just you know Dallas has some guys that were with the nineteens instead of the seventeens. You know they they didn't bring down players from you know North Texas as much as they could have. You know they didn't have. So it's all it's all part of the process. Like I told you before, the fourteen nothing one was a screw around and find out game. I mean, they were pissed. So they showed them, you know, and then they, when they had the GA cup, they didn't go as hard because they have a whole bunch of other teams to fill out, you know? And so this is the very, and St. Louis was better. They brought down their guys too. And that was much better. They, there's a, they have a center back who's legit. Ooh. Yeah. I wrote about him in my piece, man, that dude was a baller. Uh, I don't remember his name off the top of my head. I, I, I wrote about him when I, when I wrote about that game, I was, I was like, can we get that guy? <laughs> How do we get that guy from St. Louis? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, kudos to you, Buzz, because uh, if you're not going to the games and not been able to go, Buzz has been writing recaps of all the games he's been going to, and you've been a do- you've been doing a great job and and really setting the scene nicely Thank for you. those of us who haven't been able to attend the game. So uh, that's good stuff. That continues through this weekend, and I guess uh, you can attend to games at MoneyGram, at Toyota Soccer Park, at uh, Richland, uh, and then the playoffs will all take place at Toyota Stadium, and you have to have a ticket for that. Correct. Uh, yes, the Toyota Stadium games, you have to have tickets. Yep. Where are the GA Cup playoff games? Toyota Stadium. Oh, they're well, also in the stadium. Okay. Uh, don't quote me on that. They, they have a, the TV is all set up on the field, uh, field four, which is the one okay. right next to the FC Dallas training field. I don't know whether they're using the stadium or not. I don't know why they wouldn't. I mean, if they're going to have people there, you can set up TV easily. I, forgive me. I didn't look that up. I don't know the answer. Dallas Cup for sure is in the stadium. I don't know okay. what GA Cup's going to do, but I do want to talk about a specific player from FC okay. Dallas. Um, there's a kid who plays for the 
U14 team. I know this sounds crazy, but I think, Peter, I think you'll enjoy this story. So there's this kid. His name is Andre Sacedo. He plays for the U14s, and he is a of, of Latin extraction. I have no idea where he's from, and I don't care. Um, but he's the most absolutely fascinating player because, as near as I can tell, he doesn't run. He kind of, like, drifts through the game, you know? You, you never see him... I barely see him jog. I feel like, except that every time you turn around, he's available for the ball from his teammates. And when they pass it to him, it's like he takes a piece of duct tape and tapes the ball to his foot. And then he carves the heart out of the other team, rips them to shreds and either scores or sets up a guy on his team. The kid is amazing. He does that. He does that by dribbling the ball through a defense or passing the ball. through a defense. Dribbling, dribbling. The kid is a wizard. He also, will always be in the right position to play some defense and does play defense, but again, not running, just sort of drifting around. And he also can shoot and he can also pass. But like every time he picks up the ball, like four dudes collapse on him and he goes, boop, 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 and he's through them. The kid is phenomenal. Now, is he a big kid, little no, kid? No, he's a shortish kind of stocky, almost chubby little Hispanic kid. You know what I'm talking hmm. about? You've seen a million of these kids. You've not seen one this good. This kid is phenomenal. And what uh, is his name again? Andre Sacedo. When I first got to the game, it's funny. Like, I've seen him before, and I knew how good he was. And I came back and watched this game, and I was watching him run around. And I was like, is this the same kid? And then he went right through the middle of the team. I was like, yeah, oh, yeah, that's, that's him. him. <laughs> yeah. And what, what team is he on, and what number does he wear? He's, he's number 47 for the FC Dallas U14. So if you get a chance to see him, like, when you watch before he does anything, you'll be like, I can't believe you like that kid. And then wait till he does something. <laughs> the whole team's built around him because you don't even notice him. Like I said, he's just kind of lazily drifting around until he's destroying the game. It's what amazing. position is he playing? He's an attacking midfielder. You know, it's like watching Mario Diaz, right? Like you'd watch Mario Diaz run around the game. And it's like, is he even going to play? And then it would just destroy the other team. It's like that. So it's hmm. like, it's super exciting. Like at, at a U14, he's literally 13 years old. So who knows even like, is his body going to betray him? Is what's going to happen? What's his family life like? Is he going to grow any more at all? <laughs> is he going to be fat? I mean, who knows, right? You never know. But like right now, he is so much better than everybody else in that team. And there's some good kids in that team. And he's so much better than everybody I've seen him play against. And he's played against some good teams. I just, it's so much fun to watch him because it's like watching a little Diego Maradona sort of just drift around until he punches your lights out. And it's just, it's so much fun. Has he scored a lot in the tournament so far? Yeah, I mean, he he could have. I think he had two goals in the game I watched, and he could have had like six assists if his teammates could finish. Oh, it's wow. just ridiculous. Now the team they played was terrible that day, so he's not usually quite that good on the score sheet. But when I watched him play against Solar, he did the same thing. He just shredded Solar too. So it's like the kid's phenomenal. He must be really good because if he's wearing forty seven, my initial reaction is lucky Buzz didn't go up and kick him in the shin or yeah. something. Well, that's the academy shifting numbers thing. He happens to be on the group. It's 30, 30 through whatever ah. you know, the top numbers. This is his group. Like so, next year he'll be ten or whatever when he moves up. Oh, I didn't know Dallas did that. Yeah, every other age group is the nineteens are zero through twenty nine. The 17s are 30 through whatever. You can be up to 70 or whatever. And then so on and so forth. So that you can move up or down without having to get new gear. Ah, Makes sense? Got it. Yeah. yeah. All right. And then I have totally one, more, one more story for you, Peter. I think you'll enjoy it. I was sitting behind a scout watching the – what game was I watching? I was watching the U17 game yesterday. I was sitting behind a scout. And I'm not looking at his notes, but he's got a big pad. 
And so You're I can't totally looking over his shoulder. I, I wasn't trying to, but I couldn't help it at some point. And he's drawn out the formations and he's writing down numbers and he's putting little notes by all these players. And literally a third of the players in the game, he wrote fat. And I was like, <laughs> I was looking at the players and I'm like, that dude's not that fat. And I was like, fat, it's just fat. I mean, it means fast as truck. I mean, I don't know. No, he literally wrote fat, like on a third of the players in the game. And I'm like, I'm, lo- I'm looking out of the field and I'm like, it's FC Dallas versus Cholos. And I'm like, I don't see any fat kids out there. But then it cur- I was thinking about that. I was like, I guess the, the thing to remember is like, if you're a European scout and sometimes this comes down to the way pro scouts here in the United States and even our FC Dallas coaches think too, they're thinking about the highest level possible. That guy's thinking, is there a dude out here that I can take to Europe and be worth a damn? And it's like fat. No, that guy's fat. And I look at him and I'm like, that kid's not fat. Well, he's not that ripped. He's not that absolutely shredded, you know, 17-year-old that's like makes him go, I'm going to take that kid on trial to wherever <laughs> the guy was from. It's fat. What so, was his note next to your name on his uh, sheet? Oh, thankfully I was not on the field. He would have laughed his ass <laughs> off. I would have been. Yeah, if, if he had seen me in my skinniest of my life when I you could see my sunken in cheekbones, you know, all that crap, he would have written fat compared to – Based on what he wrote, fat on some of these other players that I was like, that dude's not fat. Does, well, okay. Are you? Did he speak like? Is he from yeah. a foreign country? And fat is translates into fast or <laughs> no? He was uh, writing or in slow English. Or, he, he was definitely writing right. in English. Yeah, I because literally, I mean, it's possible that was some sort of code. But you know, some of the kids were a tiny bit thicker than <laughs> some of the others. He literally wrote fat on like a third of. I just it, it made me think of like when I watch games, I'm looking for like moments of goodness and like could a kid take with something and try and build that to become a pro these guys are ruthless like i heard a story about a a team that came that that brought their head scout all the way to this tournament to see two players they knew about them ahead of time there's literally like a thousand players out there they came for two Hmm. you know so it's like even at this level that's like an extraordinary level fc dallas's academy these other great academies like the very tip top guys are interested in one, the 1% of the, this is already the super elite here. Now, the the other thing was that there were so many scouts everywhere. I've never seen so many scouts and agents, not just college guys, but now all the Europeans are everywhere all over this tournament, Dallas cup and GA cup, more GA cup because the 17s are there 15s and 17s, the 19s, everybody knows already. So but they talk about, I mean, they meet with parents of the Academy kids. They're like, I've been watching your kids since he was 13. You know, it's like <laughs> so creepy. <laughs> yeah. And it's, an, you know, on tape, you know, they're talking about American kids that way. And it's crazy. The elite, the elite ones, not, not all of them, obviously, but Hey Dan, when all the Europeans come to town, do you guys all gather at a place and meet up for a while? No, no. I moved 4,000 miles away to go away from them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they were all a GA cup. Gross. All yeah. Right. Well, it's a big week, Buzz. You're doing uh, the Lord's work, and Thanks, we, we do appreciate it. Uh, that's good stuff. All right, Dan. Well, um, did you get a good nap in there? No, I was listening intently and just counting down the minutes until we hear about the uh, the camera in the commentary booth. Oh, yes. Thank oh, you. Good reminder. Do we have time to do that? We've already gone well over an hour. Do you want to save it for another episode, Buzz, or do you want to do I it mean, now? We're just over an hour. You might as well go ahead while it's fresh. You can do that 10 okay. minutes. Well, can I ask, Buzz, that maybe we pull the audio and play it so people who have not seen it can at least hear the audio to understand what I'm about to describe and get into? Velasco, Farfan had the first touch. 
Velasco will carry it into midfield. Now here's Brandon Cervania, and Cervania's got a long shot from distance, and that long shot is on the money for an FC Dallas goal. He floated it past Yarbrough. And you want to talk about a bailout for the whole team? That is it. Follow on. I'm going to tell you, Brandon Cervania, he's got a funny little action out of shots. You know, I see it all the time in training. And he knows how to hit the ball. It's got that little dip on it. And there it is. And Will Yarborough, William Yarborough, you know, look, his positioning is okay. He's not hes not really that far out. Look, he's two steps off his line. But the ball's got a knuckle on it. I think he maybe sees it late. I think he needs to do a little better, honestly. But, man, what a shot for Brandon Cervania. We talked about it, by the way. Dallas needs to start getting goals from midfielders. Yes, that's our midfielder this year. So what this is is FC Dallas uh, the day after the game posted a video, uh, and it's it's two videos stacked on top of each other. If you haven't seen it, it's on their Twitter account. Uh, I've tweeted it. Buzz has tweeted it, and it's phenomenal. And it's phenomenal for me because it's a broadcasting thing, and there are a whole bunch of things in there I can geek out about. Um, that have nothing to do specifically with soccer per se. These are all broadcasting things, and and I and I retweeted it the next day because my reaction to this is something that I've said a lot over the last couple of years, which is, if you're a fan of this club and you follow this club, I just don't know if everybody really understands how lucky we are to have Mark and Steve as our broadcast crew. Um, they are tremendous, and I and I probably shouldn't say this out loud because I've not seen all the different MLS uh, teams, but I have a fairly good sense that they are the best of everybody out there, and if not the best, top two or three. Um, But this video is so insightful, and I tweeted, I said, there's like five very clear broadcasting skills and choices happening in here that you just don't see enough, and some people asked me to describe what that was. So I'll kind of go through it here quick. So when you watch the video, the first thing is a very nuanced thing uh, that you would never see unless there was a camera that they had posted in the room like they did in this in this instance. So the video on the top is Mark and Steve. There's this camera that's like spying on them. And the other video below is the actual action of the game. And it's all synced up. And when the goal by Brandon is scored, it's the bomb. It's the it's the it's the crazy play that we need to come up with a name for. Mark does Mark things, and what's interesting in the video and is really critical to understand is that Mark does something that not everybody does. Mark uses his body and his hands to affect his presentation style. Too many people stand with their hands in their pockets or or clutched together or behind their back, but Mark does something that people learn very early in life when you're doing debate or prose interpretation or or any you know any kind of speaking competition is using your hands and using your body because when you move in that way it affects your presentation and that's something really interesting to see because when he really celebrates that goal it impacts and improves his call which takes me to point number 2 which is classic Mark Followell 
He's so good at calling insanely important moments in a very clear and beautiful way. Like the 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 opening Velasco goal, if you remember, he had this really great line that I don't know how he pulled it out of the top of his head about you only get to make a first impression one time. And it was the perfect call for that goal for Alan Velasco. And his call here about Brandon is equally good. But those first two th- two things tie together. So point number three, and this is the one that a lot of people picked up on, and this is really the most valuable one is, and this is why it's great to be able to see this on the video, not enough people do this, but Mark and Steve had the wherewithal to just shut the fuck up and let the scene speak for itself. And if you watch Steve closely in particular, Steve is making a mental judgment of when he should pick up and start doing his analysis, and he, he almost gets ready, and then he really clearly smartly judges the scene he reads the room and says you know what i'm just going to let this play out for a bit because the truck is doing a great job of showing the fans and showing the players and replaying the shot it's going really well and he does that perfectly mark and he do this perfectly so now as i move into points four and five these are about steve so Steve, if you can, if you're watching, Steve isn't only smartly letting the scene tell it, but he's clearly using that time as a moment to collect his thought, and that is a critical use of this because this really leads into point five, which is Steve rolls out fantastic analysis, and anybody could have watched that play and went, "Whoa, that was a banger." But Steve, because he goes to practice, he's been around this team forever, he's coached, he understands the game at a very, very intimate level, he comes back and actually gives some really good analysis and tells a story that not everybody would know. Man, Brandon does this in practice all the time. He actually has this wicked ability to bend and knuckle the ball. His teammates are encouraging him to shoot more, et cetera, et cetera. And that's why all five of those points right there are things that you really only get a really interesting insight from by watching that particular video. And I was I was so excited to see them do that. Uh, and, and so that's just kind of my analysis of that moment. That's why I was so geeked out about it. We are... 100% so blessed to have those guys as our play-by-play and analysis guy, and I hope the Hunts are paying them commiserate to the performance they're getting out of those cats. It's impossible to know what they're getting relative to the – because Mark does the Mavericks, obviously, which is an order of magnitude different. So I don't know that he's getting paid his value for FC Dallas. I would assume he's not, but he should be. Uh, I just I, I that's a yeah. throw in. I don't know either, and it's none yeah. of my business. But I have. You know what I mean, I work. You know, everybody knows what I do for a living. I think, and I have worked with both of those guys on broadcasts as a producer. Um, Mark is incredibly professional. The best thing about him when you're working with him is that he is always ready and he always nails it. The dude is just on his game constantly. There's no off where like he's like I'm mailing it in today. It doesn't happen. Mm, Guys, no. super super pro. Uh, just phenomenal, a joy to work with. Steve, when Steve started, Steve was admittedly, uh, he would, I think, admit he was a little rough when he first started because he'd never done it. He's not a TV guy. He's a he writer. a journalist. Yeah. Right. So he has worked really, really hard to get better. And th- the moment that you're talking about where he takes a minute to figure out what he's going to say, he even commented that on Twitter because he wanted to, he, ha- he wants to really make sure that when he, it is his turn to finally come in, that he brings something intuitive and interesting to the conversation. He doesn't just go, what a banger. 
So, you know, both of those guys work hard to be better at what they do. Steve has put in tons of work to be better and has come a long way. And I think he's doing a phenomenal job. You know, his experience covering the game covers up for what usually is a player's sort of position or a coach's sort of position. He's got so much background writing and covering that he can make up for that perceived deficiency. And, and the, yeah, it's a phenomenal partnership. And I've worked with a lot of other ones around the league, and they're right up there with some of the best for me. Well, one of the things I'll say and add into that is we is just take a moment to consider for yourself how many other guys in the analysis role um, are guys in Steve's background. I mean, I, I literally can't think of somebody in Steve's position that isn't A, a former player or and or B, a former coach of a very high level. Right. Like, I don't know anybody that does it. And for for Steve to do that role as well as he does, he tells the stories. He provides really clear uh, uh, imagery with his words of why things are happening the way they're happening. It all has value. And I man, I just tremend I I value both of those guys work so much. Uh, And sorry, I'm prattling on about it. But (laughs) the video was fantastic. It just was total nerd uh, broadcasting nerd heaven for a guy like me. Yeah, it, it it was fun. It was a fun video. That it's not often uh, that they'll talent will let you record something like that because they don't like to be caught unawares. They really have to trust the person that's doing it. You know, obviously. So that's not <laughs> a thing that you can like. Steve surrender surrender Cobra, uh, where he puts his hands on his head when the goal is hit, is so classic. It's so good. Yeah, uh, it's so great. So I hope that lived up to the hype uh, for you, Dan. All that and very much more. That's a sterling review. Thank you, sir. All right. Uh, now I'm hoarse and talked out because I got overly excited about something. Yeah. I don't know everybody care anybody cares about other than me and maybe Buzz just because you're in the business. Well, yeah, I was hyped up. Peter, what we should have done was we should have done the Soccer 90 end of the show read because then Steve would have turned off the podcast because we would have talked about how soccer 90 has the pinstripe kits. You're right. <laughs> coming in for the, and that would have been soccer talking. So he would have tuned out. Yeah. Nice. Seg, bud. Nice yeah. Seg. Yeah. Right. So don't forget soccer 90 is the sponsor of third degree, the podcast, the pinstripe North Texas kits are here. When you hear this podcast, you better order fast because the supplies are unlimited. No, they're limited. Uh, quality is unlimited. When they're gone, they're gone. So pre-orders now, 20% off with our code, third degree. Some exclusions apply. Online only. Code doesn't work in the store. And it's a pre-order situation. So get in if you want it because those kits are legit. Will do, Buzzard. All right, Dan, thank you very much. I hope your uh, day shortens up and you get to go sleepy sleep sleep. Nah, I got to go do some more work now. Oh, man, dude. Mm, Poor Dan. Such a... just. Just a hard worker. Good for you, Dan. All right. Well, thank you, Dan. Appreciate you, sir. Thank you. And thank you, Buzz, as always. Enjoy the second week of Dallas Cup. Oh, thanks. I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully I get out there and hopefully people don't get sick of me talking about it because I love it. Yes. And thank you, FC Dallas Curious fan. And thanks for putting up with me prattling on like that. We will speak to you next week on another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. What a thunder bollock by Brandon Savania. Third degree, the third degree nail pocket. Third degree, the third degree nail pocket. Third degree, the third degree nail pocket. Third degree, the third degree nail pocket.